Hello? Hi. Hi, Rachel. Yes. Hi, this is Heather. Hi. Sorry uh, I missed you. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I was like, maybe she's screening and like wants to make sure that it's actually me. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Women Among Them. Um, each week we're going to interview a female artist and we're going to learn about her journey and her female influences. Thank you everyone for listening and I'm your host, Heather Sino. And today our guest is Rachel DeCuba. Currently, she has artwork in the show Take It at the Soap Gallery in downtown Youngstown, so check that out. So Rachel has a bachelor's in fine arts and a minor in art history from Flagler College, and she's currently in the digital arts MFA program at Indiana University. So hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Do you want to expand on who you are and tell everyone more in depth about you? Yeah, sure. I was born and raised in Sebastian, Florida. It's in South Florida on the East Coast. It was a really strange, like, small town of retirees and um, mostly, like, agriculture, specifically orange groves. And then I went to Flagler College and loved uh, the city, St. Augustine, so much that I ended up staying for a while. And then moved to the Midwest, which was a big difference (laughs) um, from Florida, but definitely an interesting change. I think it's been a really unique time to move around the country and um, kind of give a different perspective from my place in Florida and my upbringing. I feel very connected to the South just personally and through its history and everything, and it feels sometimes like another world compared to the Midwest. Um, And both my parents were not from the States. So my mother is from Ontario, Canada, and she met my father (laughs) and moved to the U.S. to give their relationship a shot. And my father came from Aruba. It's a small island in the Caribbean. And he lived there until he was about 18 and then went to the States for college. And so they met and decided to stay in Florida which sometimes I totally get because it feels like an extension of the Caribbean in a lot of ways. So it, it's been a kind of interesting path through being an artist and realizing all these little things about place and my place and different communities and just kind of traveling and finding art as a way to like connect to new places and bring along my history and my family's history as well. I love all of those like interwoven little things. It's like I can feel your family history like when I'm viewing a video piece or you know like listening to your parents talk and I think it's just so interesting. I was thinking today I literally like watched your video with like the you making the pie mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I like heard your those are your parents, right? Yeah. 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 I, I was like, I heard their voices and I, I've watched that video like three times and I know their voices and I've never even like, I, <laughs> you know, I was like, I haven't really yeah. like, I don't, I'm not like concrete on like your voice in my brain, but it's strange now be doing this interview and, and know their voices, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's like something that since I was a kid has like been there, like my parents, you know, we would watch, like, the news, and my parents would just, like, comment about how it was 
where they were from. And now that I'm an adult and like in new places, I'm starting to realize um, that my parents were raising children and learning about a new place all at the same time. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the lessons they were learning through us and a lot of the lessons that we were learning, they were like kind of thinking, <laughs> thinking on their feet um, to, to, you know, get acquainted with where they were in the world. And thankfully they were fairly good at it. <laughs> but it, I felt like most of my upbringing was ev- everything had a story. There is no little lesson. It was just all one continuous big, like, tale um, of... I know there was one time that my dad told us a story about cooking, and then it turned, and then all of a sudden he was talking about, like, hunting iguanas. And I was like, how did we get here, Dad? Like, you know, like, everything just kind of... um, And our house was not dramatic, but everything was rich, you know? Like, there wasn't a small conversation. It was all... Um, it was all vulnerable, I would say. That's so lovely. And, and yeah. I think I really feel that in, in, like, the pieces that you've made that do, like, discuss, like, kind of your family and history and place and things like that. Like, you can, like, feel that strength of like, a passed down oral history. I'm feeling your connection to your family kind of in a longing way, I guess. So I know you work with fabrics a lot. Can you kind of just like talk about that education with yourself? How did you even discover these things? Are those family things passed down? Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about migratory culture is that as our generations begin to migrate, it is harder for familial craft to be passed down. And I think it's really interesting kind of trying to approach craft in a way that is almost like a learning tool to the culture you're being raised in. So I had family members who created things. Both my grandmothers worked with their hands and my one grandmother who's 88 now and lives in Aruba, she still crochets every single day and she just sends me like bags of doilies because she knows I love them. That is so cool. Yeah. And she, um, she, like, doesn't really even look at her hands, but unfortunately, she doesn't speak much English, and I don't speak the native language, and so this is kind of the only way that we've learned to, like, like, she knows I like these objects, and I like to see her make them, so she sends them to me, so when I'm around her, I always ask her, like, what she's working on, so even, like, a craft as a way to connect, as a way to open dialogue, And I found that, personally, that my best way to really be a part of community is to learn something. And I think that's translated into, like, my studio work and my teaching as, like, a professor is, like, how how do we give the platforms and how do we open dialogue and, like, vulnerability and empathy? And a lot of times craft is is a great way, especially, like, social craft, like quilting Mm -hmm. or natural dyeing. So in undergrad... I was a painter, and I found this, like, country wisdom book. Um, at the time, I had just started dating who uh, a wonderful person who's now my husband, um, and he had this great, like, country wisdom book, and I was looking through it, and it just had a how-to on how to make quilts, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool, and I started doing it, and I just got hooked, and I started doing a ton of research into southern quilting and found this rich rich history and I just kind of fell in love 
and totally went from painting to quilting and to textiles. And then I really, when I was a painter, I loved mixing colors. And that was like my big focus is color. So then I was like, well, I need more colors. I need my own colors. So I started learning to natural dye. And then I kind of found my way to digital art. And now that I'm making more digital art, I'm finding so many interwoven histories of how women have have transformed digital media through history and how much of it is really connected to craft like weaving and quilting. There is, I think, this interest in color, even like in your video work, that it's so thought out and just every single frame seems so intentional. And I just think that is so gorgeous. I think color is also so connected to memory. Nostalgia is something that I like have trouble with. I, I both want to embrace it and also like want to like rid my work of it. But there is this warmth in the past, in this hazy look at it. We remember certain things to move forward and we have to let things go. And I think that like kind of haziness between a place of movement and a place of remembrance is what I think about a lot in the moment of creating. And I do find that blush shows and like, I tend to like crush colors a lot. If like in digital lingo, like <laughs> try to push the colors so far that they start to lose information. But I think that's so um, connected to our actual way as humans of being able to push forward is by dropping some information and carrying others along. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I Everything you say, I'm like, am I going to start crying? <laughs> um. I always go back to, um, I'm a huge, like, I love Steel Magnolias. It's I watch it every time, every birthday. I watch it almost every holiday. Um, but there's uh, this one really great part where Dolly Parton tells Julia Roberts' character that no one cries alone in her presence. And I feel like that's, like, constantly my thing is, like, I, <laughs> I can't let other people feel heightened emotion if I can't feel heightened emotion, you know? Like, if I don't put every bit of myself into work, then, like, what's the point of making it? Yeah. Um, so, so if you cry, that's fine. I'll cry too. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Um. So, so, um, so you're a professor, too, at the Indiana University with your uh, MFA program there. Yeah, So, yeah. So, like, how is that shift going from learning how to speak about your own work to then, like, learning how to speak about your students' work? Um, I think my work, because I put so much of myself into it, I do have a tendency um, to stick to, like, very formulaic crits. I try to usually have a text I've been reading or quotes or, like, very solid color or theme something very like concrete almost as like a mechanism to bring the conversation back to the formal or to the piece you know graduate school is really strange because you're with the same people so much they like know you and then they look at your work and they just see you as well in it um, Mm -hmm. especially with personal work so it's always like a hard line for me to like be like I know you know me so you know that 
I'm this person and this is my story. But like, if you didn't know that, what would you see? (laughs) Which I kind of do with my students as well. But I try to be a bit more empathetic. I, I, that's like going to be my constant word is like empathetic and vulnerable because I think there is this hierarchy system, which sometimes makes it so that students don't feel that vulnerability to like create something. So trying to make sure that my students, there is no like stupid observation. There is no like, um, like I ask them all the time, like, what are we looking at? And I, you know, it feels foolish to say like, we're looking at a video, but you just identified it. And now that we identified it, we can talk about it. So really starting to like look at things from a distance. And once we see that distance, we can start to like pick it apart. And I also do a lot of forms of like free writing and (laughs) things like that, just because I, I do think we're also in a structured society where we ask a lot of people to move at really fast paces and it doesn't leave a lot of room for interpretation or time to like stop and think we're like always it's a constant height and stress of like being somewhere doing something so I do ask my students to do the first 10 minutes without a screen and just writing by hand just so that they can you know have a moment to breathe I think it goes both ways for class and my own work. I don't want someone to try to fit something in and respond to something on the fly. I want someone to be able to sit and really like feel comfortable in their moment and their power in having an opinion. So a lot of my work, I do try to create spaces that are a little bit mesmerizing or a little bit comforting so that there is a long enough space like someone will sit with it for enough time that they start to have to ask themselves questions and start to realize some of the underlying notions. Is it strange with younger people? Do you ever have people totally fighting that? I I think it's less fighting like the actual paper and fighting um, and more fighting not being stimulated by a screen like I even have trouble with it where I'm in a lecture and it's going so slowly and all I want to do is look at like my phone (laughs) you know like or you're like out waiting for someone at like a coffee shop and you just get sucked into your phone it's just so easy and I think a lot of students that's like what they do as escapism and trying to like bring them back to the idea that like you don't have to escape this class. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like, hopefully what I'm showing you is good enough that you don't want to. But even if you do, like, let's try doodling <laughs> instead. Yeah. Um, I don't ask them to, like, meet certain requirements for those times where I ask them to be, like, just free and creative because I don't want them to, I don't want them to feel like, oh, I have to do this perfectly. They'll get graded on their projects, but they don't need to be graded on their, like, free writing because a lot of my students want A's, and I respect them for that, but <laughs> sometimes that means they, like, second-guess themselves a lot. Yeah. Um, and I do it, too. I do it all the time. So it's, like, that that moment where you have to tell yourself, I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of times they are, but it's just this innate, I need to be going, I need to be doing something. I... I had a student today who, she put it really well, and she was like, you're either losing time or wasting time. Ooh. And I was like, that's that's it. That's, like, what my whole life is right now, like, grad school. I'm either, like, 
can't catch up or I just want to sit in my studio and like clean because I don't want to make anything. So yeah, it's like that, that weird space that you sit in. Do you see yourself moving on with your career after you're done with your MFA? Do you see even more education? You're teaching. Are you planning on looking for position in a specific place? Or are you just totally open residencies, anything like that? So I have my practice, and a lot of that is centered around physical or digital work. But then I also try to have a portion of my time dedicated to community-oriented work, So trying to create more spaces for others to create things and show things, creating more spaces for like cultural events and things like that. And that's, that's mostly what I want to continue in, either in an an administrative role or an organizational role. I think our country and the world at large can benefit from having more open spaces and institutions specifically having more practical knowledge of what's happening in classrooms, what's happening in the alternative galleries, trying to really push what is art and what should be in an institution and who decides what goes where is a really interesting and a big concern for me personally. So I hope that I can continue in some form of administrative or organizational role in an institution mostly to push an institution to keep the doors open for more people yeah and open up opportunity because i I think there's stories out there it's just the fact that there's not always uh easy access to it and i think it's even though people live in a digital age and there is this implied access to whatever we want yet it's i can't experience a work of art via a Tumblr post. Yeah. Even if I'm yeah. seeing it, you know, and I know the artist exists, it's not the same thing as existing in the in the same space as the work. Yeah, and and I think too it goes back to the South for me and to my parents like upbringings of like art wasn't necessarily something in quotations. It wasn't something that was a multi-billion dollar industry. It, it's <laughs> the carnival floats in the Caribbean, in the South. It's the, you know, tires painted on the fence posts. It's the signage on the fruit stands. I don't think that art necessarily has to be a highbrow thing. Mm-hmm. It can have complexity, but I think having those spaces where we can talk about our relationship to art and have the opportunity because even my uh, dad, I can remember when I was in high school, we went to New York city and we randomly went to the MoMA and my dad and I spent like three hours at the MoMA just like looking at paintings and we didn't really talk about them. We just looked at them and we would always gravitate towards similar ones. And it was a time like, you know, like teenage girl, like <laughs> teenage girl in a small southern town, like dyeing my hair red and just like <laughs> rebelling in weird art ways. It was like this moment where I could see my dad and I like 
investigating something together and not having to even put big words to it. We just were able to be around art and that made us both happy. And that moment of knowing that he enjoyed it as well gave me a lot of confidence in the fact that if I continued to do art, he would be happy. And I mean, now they humor me a lot and will do things like record themselves talking. (laughs) Um, uh, So, you know, it's like those little moments where maybe as folks who frequent galleries, who are frequently in studios or creating with their hands, uh, it's not, we don't think about it as aha moments or (laughs) anything where it becomes a job or it becomes something that we're like trying to pump things out. Um, but I think those moments of connection is like where art kind of differs itself from other forms of like institution and gathering. I think that's a peaceful thing to just be able to exist and know that it's enough to just share those things mm-hmm. with the world. And you can talk about it. You, you don't have to talk about it, but it, it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you make work? Yeah, um, so a big part of my making is the act of gathering. Um, So a lot of my studio practice is me going to secondhand stores or thrift stores or Craigslist, yard sales, whatever I can kind of get into, and collecting mostly textiles, sometimes things like homewares, and really finding, like, these interesting discarded things, which I think carry their own, like, context and their own form of memory in their own. Uh, even, like, finding something that's semi-generic or maybe someone bought it in the 80s from a big retail store, you know, like, how many people are going to interact with it and be like, oh, yeah, I knew someone who had that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, like, finding things is a really big part of my work so I gather a lot and tend to like just store things up so in the piece that's in the show um well sugared it just a hoarding level of um textiles that are mostly in beiges or are lace and with digital work I tend to try to create not necessarily like a story But I usually have an idea of a point or, like, a theme that I know I want to be, like, the largest portion of it. And in that one, I really was interested in this, like, soft world, basically, like, a stage of just, like, enveloping blush and enveloping softness. Mm -hmm. And especially the question of who gets to be soft. Who gets to experience these beautiful, warm tones? Is it just a feminine thing, or is it a human thing? Are we just attracted to these soft colors, or even attracted to, like, softness? Why do we decorate homes? And most of the time, it's it's more soft, and it's more us. So I really was interested in this idea of, well, what if I just made everything so soft it was ridiculous, almost, Mm -hmm. um, or absurd? Which, personally, I would probably make my house, like, covered in textiles if I could. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking, I was like, oh, man, this is my home now. (laughs) Yeah, like, this is cozy home. Um, But I I really am interested in this underlying structure of who and um, 
why, right? Like who gets to have certain things and who gets to be certain places and who decides the structure. So that work, it, it was a lot of gathering that <laughs> took me probably like a month or so to just get that much material um, from places. And then I build the set and um, I take a ton of footage and then from there it's um, working to edit it. Uh, and then I always am, <laughs> I'm always kind of like on the search for uh, country songs. I'm like, I love them. <laughs> yeah. I love old country. Like it just, it makes me think of some of my family members. But then there's also I think this, like, subversion that happened, especially in the, like, 60s and 70s of women just bringing out songs that sound so beautiful and so good girl country songs, but, you know, like, like, Loretta Lynn's, like, a perfect example. I mean, she wrote a whole song about birth control. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, it's just these, like, little things. I mean, even, like, in my generation, Shania Twain and Dixie Chicks were huge when I was a kid and I just loved them and I never understood why they were so political (laughs) until like now I'm an adult and I'm like oh yeah yeah so trying to find those things where I can see the subversion underneath or I can see how things can kind of be distorted and kind of pushing that distortion a bit yeah how long did you have to hold the dishes for um (laughs) well so I I did a cut before that, and it did not work. Like, the video, like, went awry. Um, so that's actually my second time doing it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so I think in total, I we did that, like, part of the film, like, 20 minutes or so. Oh, gosh. Uh, of holding and stacking dishes, um, which it's funny because I um, – I, like, have, like, managed restaurants and, like, worked in restaurants and stuff, and I was like, oh, this won't be too bad. (laughs) Yeah. After, like, seven minutes or so, I'm like, oh, this is is a lot heavier than I thought it would be. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. And it's also, like, that moment where I was trying to figure out which plates to use, because I was like, oh, but they're so pretty. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, like, another thing I, I think is interesting between digital and sometimes I do performance as well and textiles is like a lot of it is endurance as well like you know textiles it's like a ton of repetition like sometimes quilting I hand quilt a lot and it's like how many times can I poke my finger and I I don't like using thimbles or guards so how many times can I like poke my finger how long can I stitch for (laughs) um, or quilt for and then like especially in um, my performances, it is a long and stand. I did one work um, last spring where I built a pedestal for myself to stand on and I stood on it for three hours holding one pose in like out, outside Yeah. <laughs> um, on a busy street corner. And it, it was the endurance of not only standing there, but also people shouting out their cars, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> people stopping and just staring at me, the endurance of even not reacting And I think that all kind of goes back to this idea of who has the power, right? Yeah, I'm the one on the pedestal, but does my gaze actually do anything? I saw that piece right after my 
BFA project, and I had just used 10 feet by 30 feet by 7 feet, all this tulle fabric everywhere, just sheer white. And then I found you, and then I was like, holy crap, like, I am so into this, like, so hard. Um, Yeah, but it was just very strange to go from dealing with all of that fabric to then, like, seeing it in such, like, a different way, but the same mass. Uh, It was just, it was beautiful. And I felt, like, for very similar reasons, I've been, like, totally obsessed with you for probably too long. But... (laughs) Well, and I think, too, it's, like, interesting, like, the the dynamics of, like, abundance, too. Having enough fabric that it makes an impact. Because yeah. otherwise we read it just as, like, our everyday fabric. Yeah. Um, which sometimes, like, doesn't do it justice. Because especially, like, I think a lot about how did it get here. So, like, we do treat clothes as, like, a fast consumption. But it's, like, someone is making all of that. Yeah. So even I'll collect a ton of things like that fabric and that I call it a cape but it's really just like a huge tent that I wear Um, (laughs) but it's now been used in like two other pieces beyond that one so now it's been in three pieces that I've made and even some of the curtains and drapes in the well sugared piece have been in two or three other and they're about to be in a new video that I'm working on right now once I gather something it is in like collection yeah. of things and they just keep getting used until they're so used that they become almost disintegrated yeah. in their practicality or their usefulness. So like taking every bit of every bit of information from them, every bit of substance from them to really like see their life cycle through almost <laughs> as yeah. an object is like a big thing for me. And sometimes I also have this moment where I'm like, there's no reason for me to buy wood. I can go buy these random $2 pieces of cabinets that aren't going to fit something, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah. I do find that recycling and reusing and gathering is a huge part. I I always tease it's like I'm nesting in my art practice. Yeah. <laughs> which I think works for my practice but it is like a, a just a continuous form of nesting so how do you uh, move all that stuff no <laughs> <laughs> a lot of plastic t- bins like, <laughs> we have a lot of milk crates <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah yeah so you've been talking a lot about femininity within your artwork who has influenced you I I was brought up around very opinionated, both men and women, just like different cultures, different countries. (laughs) It's always been one big, uh, chaotic, beautiful upbringing for me. Um, And I feel like I've like continued that with my chosen family of friends, as well as my um, chosen family as my husband's family. So I've always had like kind of a vibrant surroundings and I think that's always played a huge part in um my like work and my inspiration I have reoccurring influences like a big one I really love Kiki Smith mostly for her ability to move so seamlessly through mediums she has such a distinct voice 
but she can, you know, she's making tapestries one year and prints the next year, and then she's got brown castings. So really, like, being able to allow the concept and the content to push mm-hmm. her in a direction of what medium to work in, I think is, like, a really strong thing that I aspire to reach. And then a bit more on content. Lately, I've been looking at a lot of Ana Mandiata. She was a Cuban-American artist, um, mostly performance. But she was just so, uh, I think, like, vulnerable is, like, the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, She used her body a lot, and she tended to point out the, um, maybe the pitfalls of, like, human nature. I mean, I just love her work in general. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And along the same, like, lines, maybe not necessarily, like, um, exactly the same, but I have always been inspired by House of Spirits. It's a book by Isabel Allende. I read it in high school and just fell in love and read it again in college. And now I'll just like open it up and look at it sometimes and like find lines. But it is focused on a family, but it tells it in the lineage of women and it's Latin surrealism. So it's, it's just beautiful. And it's finding those everyday moments where magic could occur you know the magic of the everyday and these like small underpinnings of surreal moments that I think is really really beautiful and I think that like maybe just finding the magic in what's already occurring is a big one for me yeah it's it's a rich like being able to take a step back and kind of look around yourself and find the magic instead of hoping it happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, more contemporary, I guess, I look at a lot, um, Alison Janae Hamilton a lot. She's a New York-based artist. I believe she just graduated from Columbia, but she makes a lot of work about her family's property in North Florida, and it's just beautiful. She also puts a lot of strange objects like taxidermy into her works. Um, and into her installation very much like southern surrealism and like kind of magical southern like southern objects and southern landscapes and familial connections which I just find so fascinating and so beautiful and she does it so well it might be grad school but I'm also a total nerd where I could probably talk for like two hours and you should look up this person yeah. <laughs> Um, I also tend to move between artists, films, reading a film that I'm, like, really obsessed with lately. There's one called Three Women. It's a really beautiful work, and it's set in 70s California, and it's about the power dynamics between three different women, and it's just so, it's so beautiful, it's so strange, but it's so great. Those are kind of, like, what's playing in my mind a lot lately. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I gotta look up all this stuff now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, other than the show that you're in currently at Soap Gallery, do you have any other upcoming shows? Um, right now, not necessarily for showing. Um, I do have, like, a curatorial practice that I try to keep up. So I do have an upcoming show that I'm curating and organizing, and it should be at the end of April. 
here in Indiana. I've been working with a place called Black Vulture Projects, and they're an artist residency that's starting in Paoli, Indiana. And they're trying to take some um, buildings that they bought and property, and they're really striving to bring cultural events and art events to a rural part of Indiana. And it's a really beautiful place, and the folks who are working it are just like a great family who just cares about this area so much. They all grew up there, and this property came up, and they just were like, yeah, let's do this. And they've been like transforming like an old tomato canning factory and an old gas station and some old houses into residency spaces and workshop spaces. It's really just a great project and I've been working with them with my partner Matthew um, to curate nights of film and poetry readings which have been really great so we have another one coming up in I believe the end of April I think I saw that on either your Instagram or his yeah yeah, or some in December yeah yeah December which was really great. It like focused on folks in Indiana as well as folks nationally. And it focused a lot of humans in nature and then nature itself as its own entity. Especially the area backs up to a fairly large forest, a protected forest. So it has a ton of nature and it's got like underground rivers and um, quarries and things. It's really crazy out yeah. there, but it's great. So yeah, so we've been working on that a lot. That's very exciting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing more come from that. Yeah, yeah. I I just, I love those kind of paley Indiana. <laughs> like, you know, like it's not necessarily a place I would ever have ended up if I just hadn't met these folks and what they're doing is great and when they were talking to us about like, oh, would you ever want to do something? We immediately were like, yes, what can we do? What, you know, what do we have access to? What can we help with? So even working with them to, I know they're like working on some publicity for themselves, trying to help them with that. So even beyond like curating, it's like, how can I, you know, even if I'm just a fly on the wall, how can I be here? Yeah. Um, How can I be around other artists who are motivated and who want to you know they're not really waiting for the change they're like trying to change it themselves yeah um, which I find really inspiring yeah this is awesome yeah Uh, this has been a great convo um (laughs) all right Rachel so uh if people are super into as hardcore as I am um where can they find you or your work like on the internet do you have anywhere to guide them um i do have a website it is art like hey we're doing art (laughs) (laughs) um r-d-e-c dot com and then i also have an instagram which is um palmetto like the bug or plant um underscore darlin all right awesome thank you so much for this like endless gratitude so (laughs) i hate to seem very fangirly but it's really been a dream for what like a a year and a year and a half maybe to just get to show your work and now to be having this conversation with you is very mind-blowing and i just thank you so much and appreciate you and what you're doing and all of your work 
I think it's beautiful and important. I think it's so valuable. Um, thank you so much. Uh, thank you listeners for tuning in and, um, do you have any closing words? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm I always like. Think of a Dolly Parton quote, but I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want, you can text it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> uh, thank you, Rachel.